Beers with Nigel is poured for you by Dire Oil Graphics, promotional products and design. They cover your brand bumper to bumper with graphic design, promo products, and print. See what Dire Oil Graphics can build for you at direoil.com. That's D-Y-E-R-O-I-L.com. And you're quick. Smooth that jazz. took you less than 40. You, you must have a mini fridge next to you. Uh, my kitchen's right there. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Beers with Nigel. My name is Nigel. That's Nick. Next I'm to me. that other guy. He's the other guy. And today's guest is Neil Whitty. Welcome, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. That, that's how you pronounce your last name, right? That's correct. It's okay. Whitty. So if some people, everybody, anybody ever call you Neil Witt? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> like more often than pronouncing it correctly. It's not a name that when you look at it, everybody automatically knows how you say it. Yeah. How many different versions of that do you get? Uh, there's wit, uh, white sometimes, uh, uh, whitey every once in a while. Uh, that one just got to make you laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. Wit's really common. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I'm, it doesn't even phase me anymore. But well, it, me my whole life. Yeah, I mean, it, it, imagine being named Nigel in the seventies. So there were no wow. Nigels in the United States. So imagine where that went. So yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I hated my name growing up, but you know, I hated my name growing up too. I mean, think of all the things that rhyme with witty that could like ruin. Your <laughs> look, look, I grew up Nick, so rhyming, you rhyme, you're wh- rhyming, whining yeah. doesn't I'm, work for I'm me. Right there with you, man. I get, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll start off with this. Just tell us what you're drinking. Uh, so I am drinking the Angel and the Sword from Civil Life out of St. Louis. Uh, it's a it's a brewery that I've got a ton of respect for and I've always liked quite a bit. Uh, they describe it. They they this is a little unusual for them in that Civil Life really focuses on like really straightforward interpretations of classic styles, right? And this is one where they're like, we don't really have a style. It's kind of hybrid-y. I mean, it tastes kind of like English pale ale, but only not quite as bitter. Okay. Uh, they call it pub ale, and they say it's kind of oh. a mishmash of Yeah, 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 yeah. Very nice. It's delicious. Nick, nice. what are we drinking now? Well, for you, Junior, we have Epic Breweries Midnight Munchies. It's a peanut butter stout, 8.5% alcohol. That, that the, the ABV report is for John Bedoin. Well, we do have friends who like want to know how big the beer is, so there's that. Yeah, well, this then is four six. <clears throat> a nice session beer. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. Right down my alley. Oh, is that is that what you like? I do like something that's a little bit lower ABV. Uh, in fact, you know that's that's just something. It's a personal thing, you know. Uh, uh, I've just over the years come to appreciate lower alcohol beers that have good full flavor right, right um you know when i go to a tap room or a beer bar and i look at the list you know one of the first things i'm doing is eliminating things based on alcohol content you know okay. if i'm out at a bar when we all used to go to bars remember that yeah back um, in the day <clears throat> when the before times yeah in the before times uh you know there there would oftentimes be half the list where i was was not interested i'm not interested in drinking an eight and a half percent beer uh, when I go out, I, I might, I mean, I might taste it or have a small sample of it, but you know, an eight and a half percent beer, I'm feeling it after one. 
And, you know, I'm not drunk after one, but I'm feeling it after one. And, you know, sometimes I want to have a couple or three beers over a period of time and I don't want to be drunk. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I got all that out of the way when I was in my twenties, you know, I got drunk (laughs) when I was in my twenties. So, so, uh, who is, who is Neil Whitty? Who am I? Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's a complicated question, I guess. That's why I asked it. See what I did there? (laughs) If you were a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a, I'm a beer guy through and through. I've always worked in the beer business. Uh, I don't know anything, but uh i uh i'm turning 50 this year i've been in the beer business for actually breweries and beer professionally since early 97 so it's about 24 years i've been in the beer business now uh before that i worked as a bartender and and at a winery and you know so i've always worked in beer beer service or something like that. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was a home brewer in the early nineties. I, uh, I studied in Germany for a summer after I graduated college in 93 and, uh, discovered full flavored beer and came back and started home brewing and, uh, caught the bug. Uh, nobody else I knew was home brewing. Uh, not back so, then, no way. Uh, you know, I got, I got into it and I graduated college with a degree in philosophy and a degree in German and no idea what I was going to do with that and decided that I wanted to get into the beer business and through some mutual friends, I got hooked up with uh, 75th street brewery here oh, in yeah. the city. If you guys remember the old 75th oh, yeah, street brewery, yeah. they, they were like the OG brew pub. Did you work um, with Danner back then? Uh, no, Danner started there after I had left. Okay. Yeah, he's um, a little younger than, than you. Yeah, I worked there and I only worked there for, you know, maybe eight months. Uh, I moved to Kansas City actually to be the brew, the assistant brewer at McCoy's Public House. Um, and at the time when McCoy's Public House, which is now gone as well. Right. Um, <clears throat> at the time, McCoy's Public House was part owned by Casey Hops which owns 75th Street Brewery. And, now, yep. and at the time they were mostly a brew pub company. Now they're like a restaurant company. Right. Um, and so they, I helped them open McCoy's public house in 97 and turned out they didn't need an assistant brewer. So I bounced around with them for a while, worked for work, bartended and brewed at 75th Street Brewery and a couple other breweries that they had an interest in at the time. And then I got on a Boulevard in late 97 and I stayed there for 19 years. I wow. left there at the end of uh, 2016. Um, I brewed for about a year. Well, no, wait, no, I brewed for, I don't know why I said that about three years at Boulevard, three, three and a half years. And then I took on a role of field quality manager. Right. And so I started working out in the market with uh, distributors in our network and bars and restaurants and our sales team out in the field. Uh, addressing quality issues out in the marketplace and kind of working as a liaison between what was happening in the brewery and what was happening in the market. And I did that for the next 16 years um, until I left in 2016. Uh, And then I started a company called Craft Quality Solutions uh, where I do all kinds of different stuff. It's kind of a catch-all business for consulting and draft system expertise, uh, draft system installation, 
um, you know, you name it, training, education, all kinds of different stuff. Um, and, uh, and then I've got a new upstart called Tapstar, which is a, a certification program for, uh, for draft beer quality at retail. Right. Wow, you've got quite the story. <laughs> some yeah, of, the I'm, I'm just going to say, Neil, some of the stuff was not in your bio. Just gonna... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I like to have a bio that's not like three pages. <laughs> so, do you do, do you still like to brew? Do you still brew at home? I do not brew. When was the last time really you did? Long time. You remember um, the last time you did it? Uh, I, I tell you, the last time I did it was probably in about 2001. Um, you know, I stopped home brewing when I started brewing professionally. Um, and, and then once I kind of transitioned away from brewing into the field quality role, um, you know, by that point I had learned so much about how to make good beer that I, you know, well, first of all, at that point, I wasn't too interested in home brewing anymore for a long time, but by the time I was interested in it, I would have had to invest a whole lot of money and effort into, <laughs> you knew too much. into the equipment that I knew I needed. You know? Right, 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 right. I, I wouldn't have been able to just like do it in a plastic bucket anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, you could. could but... <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, and I said that that's, you know, it was a pretty big obstacle and I just kind of never got back into it. Um, but, you know, you don't have to be a brewer to be really into into beer and to right. make a career in beer. Right, you know? right. And, and uh, so, you know, I, my specialty has become draft beer and draft beer systems. And that's, uh, that's kind of what I do mainly. Uh, right. That's what people come to me for is my expertise on draft beer. So, so going all the way back before college, you, did you go to Germany one to have beer, a beer experience, but you, your major was German. How did, how did that happen? You know, it, it just kind of happened organically. I I had taken German all the way through high school and college, and and it went from a minor to a major just because it only took a few more credits to get a double major. And uh, and then I had an opportunity to get my last credits, my last college credits, uh, over a summer in Germany studying in Bonn and. Uh, so I spent, uh, I think like six weeks over there going to class and I had, uh, a friend, an old high school friend who was living in Dusseldorf, which is, you know, just like a, I don't know, maybe like a 40 minute train ride from where I was and, you know, hung out with him a lot and, uh, you know, and had a lot of like interesting beer experiences that, uh, look, you know, I didn't really realize what I was experiencing with a lot of this stuff until after I learned more about beer, because yeah. at that point I really didn't know anything about beer. I was just a guy, you know, really a college kid who liked to drink beer. And I knew, I, you know, uh, that's about all I knew. So I was drinking like Hefeweizen's all over Germany. And, you know, I liked those a lot. Uh, drank a lot of alt beer in Dusseldorf. Uh, so I was very familiar with all beer and Kolsch and Cologne because Cologne was really close and we used to right. go there. Um, so, you know, I didn't really realize that these were like these really cool provincial styles yeah. that are only produced in those places. Yeah. You know, I remember like taking a trip to Stuttgart at one point down in Southern Germany. We went to a bar and I asked them if they had any alt beer and they, were, they told me to go back to Dusseldorf. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
those are experiences that I didn't even, it didn't even register with yeah. me until I started to actually study beer and That's awesome. study different styles. Um, you know, like in, in Berlin, I, you know, I went to Berlin and, uh, and I thought I was ordering a Hefeweizen and, and then they, the waiter asked me if I wanted it with, uh, with syrup, with a red or green syrup. And I right. was like, <laughs> what? Like, what are you even talking about? I think I, I don't even remember exactly. I think I ordered it green and it was this weird beer with this flavored syrup that like was sour and with sweet syrup in it, but they were calling it vice beer. And I was like, I don't even know what the heck this is. Uh, and only years later, I mean, this was in 93. Right. So, I mean, nobody knew what a Berliner vice was. A- absolutely not. Uh, and it was, a good 15 years later before I even, you know, had another one and people started to talk about this old historic style Berliner Weiss, you know, and, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, well, I've had one of those you know, in Berlin, <laughs> a long time ago. I didn't really realize what I had. So we, so we can't even ask you that we normally <laughs> ask people, what was your first craft beer? You were drinking the good shit and didn't even <laughs> know it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what were you drinking in college before you went to Germany? Well, so we would drink, uh, we would drink Boulevard because I went to MU. So I was just okay. a couple hours away. I was at Mizzou. Um, so we drank Boulevard, um, Boulevard Unfiltered Wheat, Boulevard Pale Ale. Uh, those kind of turned into by the mid 90s, those turned in, you know, Boulevard Pale Ale was like my favorite beer before right. I ever even right. moved to Kansas City. Uh, we would drink Pete's Wicked Ale. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. a big kind of transitional beer for us. Uh, occasional Sierra Nevada pale ale, right. um, you know, and, and we drank a lot of domestic beer too. I mean, we were college kids in the, in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. So of course we drank. Uh, yeah, that was, that was my beer. next question. I'm like, okay, I know you drank, <laughs> I know you drank some Boulevard. Surely there's some high life or something in there. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I mean, those domestic beers, I have no memory of exactly what they were. We yeah. Yeah. It was just in college. Was. Yeah. Yeah, and it didn't make any difference because it all kind of tasted the same. The the beers that I remember were, you know, those transitional beers. I mean, like one of our transitional beers was Killian's. We drank yeah, Killian's. Yeah, that Killian's Red. Stepped up a little bit from what we usually drank. Yeah. Um, you know, but if we really wanted to step up, we'd be drinking Boulevard or Pete's Wicked Ale or something like that. I always felt like, you know, in the mid-90s, like the, the Killian's, that was when we got fancy. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. King, that King, was fancy King's, beer. King's yeah. Irish Red. That was, yeah. that was that was that was a totally a gateway to craft Absolutely. beer for me. Yeah, yeah, it, it had color to it. It had some yeah. flavor that was a little different. Um, and y- you know, if you drank one now, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, because you know everybody's so used to IPAs and these big punchy in the mouth flavors. Yeah, but at the time, that was you know that was a big step up from regular domestic beer. Yeah, I mean, in the '90s, well, not in the, yeah, probably yeah, in the '90s is when I first came to Kansas City. It was, I, I was never a Boulevard, Boulevard wheat fan, but when when the Pale Ale came out, I was like, oh my god, this is the yeah. best thing ever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and, and a lot, of, and a lot of people still, you know. And then and then Tank Seven came out. I was like, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I'm a. And of course, they didn't call it craft back then. I don't know what they called it back then, but it was. Uh, they were, uh, I think, by the time Tank Seven came out, for sure, that was craft beer because Tank Seven, I want to say, was probably about two thousand and nine. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I guess you're right. Because that was a that was like a second generation smokestack beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. Didn't come out until like two thousand seven. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm thinking. I'm I'm missing my beer dates here. 
but pale ale, I mean, that was the original beer. Boulevard was founded in 89, mm-hmm. you know, and through the nineties, we didn't really use the term craft beer until yeah. like later in that decade. <clears throat> yeah. No, there was just pride. And we had Kansas city had its own microbrewery. That was, yeah. Not, yeah. We didn't, we didn't use craft. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the that was one of the popular terms. Microbreweries. Nobody says that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 went by the wayside. So, yeah. at, at, at what point in this process? Obviously, you're 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 in Germany and you're tasting all these beers. Did you decide? Oh, I'm going to make beer my career. Did that did that hit you at some point or what? Uh, not when I was there, but more when I was just kind of you know I graduated and I was home brewing and you know, working as a bartender and, you know, and I really like to homebrew and, you know, I knew that, you know, this full flavored beer was kind of becoming a thing and it was growing. Uh, we had a brew pub in Columbia um, and, you know, it was kind of a big deal and that just kind of, you know, it caught my attention. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'd really like to be able to do that. Um, so it just kind of happened like that, you know, and, uh, and then an opportunity kind of fell in my lap. You know, I was, uh, a, a friend of mine was a winemaker at a winery right outside Columbia called Les Bourgeois and mm-hmm. <clears throat> Les Bourgeois is still there. It sits on the bluff. And if you, if you're going on 70 into Columbia, right as you yeah, cross yeah. the river, you look off to your left yeah. and you'll see the, the restaurant and the A-frame on the bluff top. And then as you re- pass the Roachport exit right there, it's that big complex right on the right on the side of the highway. So I worked for them for a while because he, he was like, hey, I know you're into beer and, uh, you know, you might be interested in coming and, you know, helping us with Grape Crush at the winery. So I helped him with Grape Crush and worked on the bottling line and did some like assistant to the assistant <laughs> winemaker stuff when they're, you know, like just some really rudimentary things in the cellar. Uh, and then worked at the wine bar and the restaurant. Uh, so I did that for a while. And through him, I got connected with the folks at 70 Fistry Brewery because we poured one of their beers at our restaurant. Oh, okay. That was literally the connection. So wow. you know, I got to know those guys at 70 Fifth Street. They needed an assistant brewer. And they're like, hey, you want to you know, you move to Kansas City and work for McCoy's Public House? I'm like, yeah, sure. you you didn't know what you're getting yourself into did you yeah and so you know eight months you know eight months after i moved here i'm getting to know the guys at boulevard and they need a brewer and i got that job so 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 back then when you got the brewer job at boulevard were were there was it just one brewer was it just you or were there more Uh, there were five of us maybe six uh, there were only like 25 people in the whole company at that point. Okay. But we were pretty small. Um, now we were really big compared to other breweries. Um, right. I don't know exactly. And I've tried to find out, but I don't really know. But my guess is I think we we're making about 35,000 barrels a year there when I started there. So for perspective, like your average brew pub, like brew pub restaurant with kind of a smallish system that really cranks out beer, they might make like 2000 barrels a year. Right. So, you know, that's pretty good production for a, like a small brew pub. Um, but we were, you know, we were making 35 barrel batches and, uh, and we were cranking it out, but we still, you know, we're only brewing like four days a week and we weren't brewing around the clock and we were right. still a small growing company. Yeah. Was it that when you were at Boulevard, was it at that point that you were 
thinking, oh, this is going to be a career with your German degree and your. <laughs> your- yeah, I mean, German didn't help much, honestly. <laughs> uh, philosophy always helps. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I loved it. You know, I was like, yeah. you know, I didn't really see any reason to go do anything else. That was where I wanted to be. And, you know, so I stayed there for 19 years. It was a yeah, <laughs> work. Yeah. Were you uh, were you aware of the growth that was happening? I mean, like as it happened, because that was the time when Boulevard really boomed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was, I think, the first hire after they had to lay a couple people off because the uh, the craft beer business in the 90s grew super fast in the mid 90s, like early mid 90s, like took off like a rocket ship. And there was a bunch of stuff on the shelves and, or, and in like 96, uh, 96 to 97, the bottom kind of fell out of it and things came down. There was a lot of bad beer on the shelf and, and a lot of places that were sending beer all over the place ended up going out of business. There was a big shakeup in the business at that point. Um, and it started to come back in like mid, late 97. And I was, and Boulevard had to lay a person off. They all, Boulevard at the time also had some, like a big issue with their local distributor at the time. And, and, you know, for a number of reasons, they, you know, they hit a rough patch at that same time. Uh, but I came on uh, and I came on and sales improved. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, the, the what changed their fortunes. The, the, witty, <laughs> effect, the witty effect, isn't it? <laughs> I would, I'd love to take credit for it, but I'm afraid I can't. Um, but things, you know, from 97 for the, you know, the next 10 years, we, we really cranked it. Um, you know, we were growing like crazy and the whole industry was, it was apparent. Yeah. We knew exactly what was happening and we were riding that wave. So, so what, what was it like? Cause you know, I'm a, a beer guy to be in, in that, that thing as it's happening. I mean, cause really that's the. It's kind of the the birth of, you know, what's what where it is now. You look back, you know, it's did you? Yeah, you know, at the time when you're doing it, you're just work. You're just doing something you're passionate about, you right? Want to want to keep it going, right? Uh, we all felt like we were really lucky to be there because, yeah, you know, we we worked for a small, fast growing company that treated us really well, and it was a great work environment. Um, and uh, we, you know, we just we were just a bunch of young guys who really loved our jobs, you know? Um, and, you know, so, you know, it's only looking back when you think about like, yeah. wow, you know, that was kind of a special time, you know, uh, and, you know, getting in pretty early on in craft beer, yeah. you know, I mean, if anything, it just makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're not old, you're seasoned. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Aged. Thank you. Aged. Hey, so seasoned is like different. A fine wine. That, there you go. There you go. Like a fine uh, before, beer. before we move on, um, one of the things we do on here, you know, Nick, you know, is about you're probably a year into craft beer now. Yeah. Into it. Well, into paying attention. Paying attention. So <laughs> I, I, we, I still try to coach him up. And so we bring. Mystery beers. Are. A mystery beer bag. Oh, okay. That, that might have come from somebody's golf course. We're not quite sure. Shout out to uh, Anthony Medina for bringing that to us. So, we, you know, we keep it classy. I bring him three beers per week. And it's in a brown paper bag. That's why we're classy. 
So and he puts you on the spot in the middle of these podcasts. Oh, absolutely. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. Oh, That's he rough. loves it. He loves well, it. Well, brought him back. Pinky up. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, he gets to drink it. So <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not the, it really be? It's not the worst thing ever. What do we have there, Nick? What do we got? Uh, Vanessa House Holiday Slay. It's a stout ale. Bad lighting. It's not my old eyes. Eleven point eight percent. So you know. Witty's out on this one. <laughs> he hears eleven, and he's like, "I'm done." Well, no, no. If if he was at home, he could drink that, couldn't you? Well, yeah, I'm I'm much more inclined to drink high ABV beers. Yeah. At home. yeah. Well, he lives around the corner, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. He, yeah. Walks, he, he, he walk can walk home. home. Uh, for those who don't know, Vanessa Vanessa House is out of Oklahoma City. Really cool brewery. Um, do some really cool beers. I don't know them actually. Yeah, they're they're. they're you know, Oklahoma City is 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 a burgeoning beer market, craft yeah. beer, and people they're like Oklahoma City. I'm like, yeah. So they have a brewers union down in Oklahoma City where if you didn't have a place to brew, you could come to this brewers union and you know brew on on a system. And then when you got a space, then you moved. And so Vanessa Vanessa House was one of those breweries okay. that that cut their teeth with five other breweries in this one spot, and uh, maybe a year ago. They opened up in downtown Oklahoma City, and they've just even when they were doing the stuff out of the Brewers Union was pr uh, pretty damn good shit. Nice. And I tell people about Oklahoma City, they're like Oklahoma City. I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised some of these places you don't think have really good craft beer. Oh yeah, it's, it's up and it's coming for sure. Now. You can find you can find good beer in just about any city you go to anymore. And yeah. Oklahoma City is a cool town. I mean, I've been there a bunch. I used to go there a lot when I was traveling with uh, Boulevard. Um, and it's, it's a cool town and there's, there's a good beer scene down there. I was, I went down there for a Brewers Guild meeting. Uh, I used to do some work for the Brewers Association. I was the quality ambassador right. for about three years. And, and I went down and spoke to the, uh, Oklahoma Guild down gotcha. there and, uh, and they've got, I mean, had some really fantastic beers. They had like a little kind of side event with a bunch of people pour beers Yeah, and it was I mean, there's some good stuff. Uh, Coops out of there. Yep, Coop. um, mm -hmm. they do a really good job. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the last couple of years. It's it's really kind of crazy. That's definitely uh, got the holiday spice to it. Well, <laughs> you know, shout out to yeah. my to my boy Kenny. Uh, I'm sure he sent this to me like last month. Yeah, That's well, right. it's a holiday ale. So right, right, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Anything other than a high ABV stout, I'd be like, ooh, that's getting a little long in the tooth. But uh. <laughs> that that is true. That is true. So as as you were coming along in in your career at, at Boulevard, and you got into the quality part of it, what what spurred you on? I'm really I'm the one thing that interests me about you is like I don't know very many people who think think that way about you know the quality of all the things that happen when you're when you're brewing a beer or pouring a beer or doing yeah. that sort of thing, at what point did you get into that sort of thing? Well, that, you know, that's a lot of <clears throat> what I dealt with, with my job. So, you know, John McDonald, the founder of Boulevard created that position that I stepped into in like mid 2000, 2001. I kind of transitioned into it over the course of about a year and he 
you know, he created that position because he kept going out into the marketplace and, and drinking really bad Boulevard beer. Oh. And he knew it wasn't leaving the brewery like that. Right. But there were, you know, he knew it was getting screwed up and there were some pretty terrible things happening with beer at that point. You know, it was a lot worse than it is now. You know, like at the time, uh, a lot of retailers would use compressed air instead of blended gas to push their beer for example. really yeah and if you push compressed air into a keg the keg tastes really bad in like yeah. a day and, and it goes flat and it just it really it ruins the beer really quickly and there were a lot of places pouring beer from you know pushed with air compressors it was you know and i tell that to people today and people are like <laughs> you're kidding me like, why would anybody do that i'm like I yeah. don't know, but they were, and it was a big problem. You know, a lot of there, there's one answer. It was cheaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, buy an air compressor, and all everything's free after that, except what? you to run it, right? I've you never know? heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, there was, and the, so there were. That was just one of many things that you know uh, that I focused on. It was, you know, that uh, line cleaning, system design yeah. stuff. There were a lot of systems out there that were just really poorly designed that weren't pouring good beer. They were ruining it all along the way. Nobody, you know, nobody really cared about clean glassware. Right. I mean, you couldn't really find places that really even understood it, much less cared about it. And so there were a whole bunch of things that I ended up concentrating on and trying to improve on. So I learned how to install draft systems and I learned, and I worked with, I started working with line cleaners all around the Midwest in our distributor network. And I learned how to clean lines and I got to the point where I was training them how to clean lines. And then we were creating standards for line cleaning that we could hold our distributor partners to uh, because the distributors in most of the states that we were distributing at the, in, at the time in the early 2000s were distributor clean states where the distributors have the responsibility for cleaning draft lines. Right. So there's really like, you know, uh, out of all the U.S., uh, there's probably 15 states where it's against the law for distributors to clean draft lines. And uh, it, it's considered like an in providing an incentive to buy the beer. And so they make it illegal <laughs> and so it's up to the retailers. But in all the other states, distributors have that responsibility. And uh, and so I did a lot of work with distributors and distributor draft departments, making sure that they were doing things the right way, that they were properly staffed and had the right equipment and were doing things the right way. Um, you know, so I concentrated a lot on that. I learned how to install draft systems and started bidding out to install systems around Kansas City because I knew that if I did the system, I could put it in the right way right. as opposed to the other guy who you know, was screwing them all up, you know, and I, I could give them a sweetheart deal and not charge them labor and just charge them cost of parts, you know? And so, you know, I started doing that, uh, you know, and I started doing retailer training, bartender training on how to pour a proper pint of beer, right. uh, how to clean glassware, right. and all this stuff. And, and so, you know, the more I got into that, uh, I just, you know, I just, that was what I did for 16 years. So that just kind of became second nature. And so kind of turned into a passion of mine. I mean, right. yeah, we made a lot of progress and there's other people in the business who I consider colleagues of mine who worked for other breweries doing the same type of work. And, you know, 
we were kind of fighting the good fight, you know, right. and, and that was my intention when I left was to continue doing that uh, only, you know, independently and not right. just for one brewery. So do you think, you know, at, at least for me personally, I work at three different breweries and I'm, I'm very particular about how beers are poured and how things are done. Are you that yeah. type of person where you're like, no, that doesn't, that's not correct. Or did that just come from you obviously being a brewer, you know, it's about sanitation and everything being clean and that sort of thing. Is that your personality or is that something you learned or maybe both? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm the type of person that when I do something, I want it done the right way. Right. Um, and it really kind of annoys me if you've put a whole lot of hard work into something only to have something really stupid, screw it up at the very last possible second. Yeah. Um, so that just annoys me anyway. And I'm passionate about beer and I'm passionate about good tasting beer. And I've, and I've learned enough about it over the years to know the difference between, you know, good beer and bad beer. And, and I know what can happen to it. And so, you know, uh, put all those together and I become pretty vigilant about how beer is treated at retail. Yeah. Do you find that you have to, you have to remind people sometimes that the equipment plays just as big a role as the ingredients? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, to sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know, with me particularly with, uh, with draft equipment, they, you know, it does matter. You know, you, you, you've got to spend a little bit more money and get the right equipment in order to pour beer the right way. Uh, what surprises me more is, is, uh, is seeing, uh, brewers sometimes, uh, you know, kind of give it short shrift. Uh, yeah. People who I would think would care a lot about quality and want to do everything to preserve it, uh, kind of, you know, not really giving a shit. Um, yeah. You know, and I guess part that's part of that comes with you know the business just being so big now, and there's so many people making beer now that not everybody can be passionate about it. There's going to be some people who just don't care who are in it for you know who for whatever reason, looked at this business and thought that they could get rich doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> I don't wait to me. You know, one, one of the things that, that, um, you know, the whole clean glass thing, you know, and it's amazing to me. I'll go to places and, you know, the whole bubbles inside the glass and, and a lot of people don't know that's a thing. No, they don't. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I've talked to a lot of people about that over the years. I've done classes and, and uh, you know, I remember doing a, a TV spot one time for some like local morning show, like five years ago or something. And they, we met up at a bar and I did a couple of different little, you know, education things on how to serve a great glass of beer. And uh, one of them was beer clean glass and the, and the woman who was doing it and the, and the camera guy, both of them were just like, when I, explained it and showed them a dirty glass and a clean glass. They were both like, Oh my God, I, I've had a dirty glass so many times. and I didn't yeah. even know it. Yeah. You know, and they were like appalled. And I'm like, yeah, it's like you, those bubbles mean it's dirty. They're like, I didn't even think of anything of it. You know, you see all the bubbles you think, Ooh, yeah, it's nice and effervescent. <laughs> <laughs> You're not drinking an Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> I'm sure that's a beer somewhere. Alka-Seltzer? Alka God, beer. let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Alka-Seltzer. 
Somebody's gonna do it. Somebody's got it yeah, somewhere. You put it out in the world, Nick. Uh, that's 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 pretty rude. Uh, so that's on yeah. me, is what you're saying? Well, yeah, that's on you. Isn't that like seltzer? <laughs> Fair <laughs> <Right>? point. Fair <laughs> point. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you have a point. So you know, um, you know, I I got love for you because you know, I I I know a few master cicerones. I have to. You know, give you props for that because um, you have to be mad to do it. <laughs> yeah. At what point did you decide I want to do this? Because obviously, there's there's obviously the you know the server and then the two steps between. At what point do you think, oh, this is for me? Well, so I heard about the Cicerone program when it first started up in 2008. It actually is like 2007. Late 2007, I heard about it, and I and I I knew who Ray Daniels was. I right. I had designing great beers, and I'd read that, and I used that to. St- I had uh, taken BJCP classes in, you know, in the late 90s, and taken that test, and so you know, I was kind of into studying beer and learning about it anyway. And with what I was doing, hearing about what Cicerone was about with uh you know with there being you know them focusing on service and trying to do things the right way um you know i felt like that was something that the industry needed uh some type of certification for people who are handling beer and and i was like hey this is something that is you know really valuable and i would like to you know i feel like we as a brewery being boulevard should support something like this right and so I uh, took the certified beer server exam in like early 2008 and took the very first certified Cicerone exam that they offered. It was at Craft Brewers Conference in San Diego uh, in 2008, in like April of 2008. So uh, I passed the exam and I was one of I was one of the first, I think, five certified Cicerones. Wow. Um, and at that point, nobody knew what it was. Right. It, it was, you know, it wasn't a name or anything. I just thought it was something cool that, you know, Boulevard should be supporting. And I kind of saw myself as like a guinea pig in a way. You know, like, <laughs> We're supporting this and I'll just go ahead and do it, you know. Uh, and, you know, and then uh, so they didn't have advanced Cicerone at that point. Um, and, you know. By the end of the year, he announced the first uh, Master Cicerone exam. And I was like, well, I passed certified Cicerone. I may as well take Master. And I took Master and I failed it. And at that point, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to take defeat that easily. And so I took it again the next year and I failed it again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, all right. Yeah, now it's personal. Really fucking hard. <laughs> and then I decided, so I took a year off and studied my ass off and worked hard and you know studied the things that I, and did a lot of the things that I felt like I needed to do and took it a third time and I passed it just barely but nonetheless <laughs> passing grades of passing grade right yeah hey pa- yeah i mean nobody says you know nobody says he's a master sister but he only passed by this much <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe that because I, I watched this great documentary on this one guy who want who wanted to do it and you know it took, probably took him four times what what was your what do you remember about that experience trying to go through that whole process for the third time it's 
well, it's kind of stressful. What I remember is the time, what I remember really well is the time in between taking it and learning about the results, which is about six to eight weeks and like going over the exam over and over in my mind and like, you know, certain answers of like, oh, I know I screwed that up, you know, and this one thing and like you're kind of beating yourself up over it. Uh, but, you know, it's a it's a grind, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's like studying for a test at school. It's a really, really hard test and you just keep learning everything you can. It's a uh, you know, I tell people a lot, you know, uh, certified beer server and certified Cicerone are both things that, you know, there's some fairly clear cut uh, career uh, career steps or if you will that can open up career doors that can open up if you have those things it's like a good resume thing yeah when you get to advanced cicerone and master cicerone it's kind of like a vision quest deal there's not like (laughs) anything you know it's like you can say all right certified beer server you know there are a lot of like better beer bars that want everybody to be certified beer server for example certified cicerone you know there might be some places that you know, want to have somebody manage a big beer portfolio for a distributor or at a, at retail or something like that. Somebody who's in a position where they're buying beers, you know, they might say must be certified Cicerone. You know, that's something you see. You don't see anything that's like must be master Cicerone. Right. It doesn't exist. And, you know, so there's no clear cut. Like if you pass this test, this will happen. Right. And, right. You know, it's just, it's not there. Uh, you have to be just motivated and kind of crazy and a little obsessive uh, to, yeah. to do it. And, you know, and you got to be a good test taker, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a really hard test. It's, it's two solid days of essay exams and oral exams and tasting exams. And it's super stressful. Uh, it's really hard. Nobody walks out of that thinking that they passed. Everybody yeah. walks out of there feeling terrible and feeling like <laughs> they failed. Um, so that's a great yeah. sales pitch for the Cicerone program, Master Cicerone program. <laughs> well, I, I have no problem telling people that. I mean, you know, and if Ray Daniels is listening to this, he would probably agree with me. I mean, it's really hard, and we we don't. Uh, it's called master for a reason because yeah. you got to be really good at it. You got to know your stuff. Uh, but you know. Master Cicerone, but, you know, Master Cicerone is not, you know, what keeps the Cicerone program afloat, you right. know, it's the lower level exams and stuff. So and, uh, and to nobody's be fair, out selling Master Cicerone. We yeah. have people coming to us for it and it's like, all right, yeah. And, and to be fair, even when I took the, the certified, the server one, I mean, there's questions on there. I was like, shit, why don't I know that? Because there were some things. You know, it's kind of what you do. Some of the, you know, some of the draft line questions and things like that. I was like, oh, I need to go back and learn that, you know, because you think, oh, it's just a server certification. No, it's it's pretty heavy. Even the first level. It's if you work in the beer business and you know a decent amount about beer already, I would say that most people could probably pass that with little to no preparation. Uh, but that's not necessarily for everybody. Right. You know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who probably need to brush up on stuff and need to learn a little bit about beer, especially if they don't know a lot about to, about it going in. Certified Cicerone, everybody needs to prepare no matter what they do, yeah. no matter where they come from. Nobody walks into that exam without preparing and passes it. It just doesn't happen. Um, that's, you know, uh, the difference between certified beer server and certified sister is pretty big. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been I've been studying for the last year. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, yeah I mean, because there's things that I, you know, I've, I've never homebrewed. Um, I'm just you know a beer guy, and you know I brewed at a couple of breweries, but some of the things that happen, I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably I should probably know that, you know. It's just, but you're right. It's it's from server to to the next level it's a pretty pretty good leap and, and i hate tests honestly yeah and i hate tests so there's yeah. that <laughs> i uh, i now i get to participate in master cicero exam as one of the examiners so i i do all the oral exams for the draft beer portion really uh, yeah and a lot of people are very scared of me and doing that <laughs> now let's let's that not easy <laughs> let's, let's, i'm going to ask for a little bit of honesty here how much pleasure do you take in that fact? A whole lot. I really, <laughs> I like it a lot. I really do. <laughs> Both of the examiners are are uh, master sisters who've been through the through it themselves, and it, it's you know we don't make it any harder. It's just and you know and you know we are you know in all seriousness we are you know empathetic to the position that they're in. And, right. You know, we, we don't make things more difficult than they already are, but it's, I think we, all of us enjoy doing it because we know how hard it is. And we realize, yeah. you know, it's kind of a reminder, like I've done that and I've passed <laughs> it. And now I'm so glad to be on this side and not on that side. Yeah. And Nick's I, out of beer. So I am out of beer. Second mystery beer. Well, I, I just poured another one. What, uh, what are you drinking? I oh. got the Casey ah. beer Carolator. This is their pale Doppelbach. Uh, really? Came out a couple weeks ago. Wow. It's a been a tap room only release. Oh wow! Uh, and they use this. Uh, you know, they do decoction mashing there, uh, which is uh, a little bit of a kind of antiquated way of uh, raising to different temperatures in the mash tun to create different types of sugars. Okay. And they. This one in particular, they used a particularly complex mashing schedule to create. Uh, I won't bore anybody with all the technical details of it, but they Trust created a, um, a really just uber delicious, very smooth uh, Doppelbach with this super complex mash schedule with this like crazy decoction schedule. And and it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Pale Doppelbach, uh, you know, malt forward beer, uh, seven and a half ABV. It's, uh, um, it's just delicious. They yeah. do wonderful beer. Mm -hmm. They really do. It's one of the best ones that I've had from them in a long time. Really? Um, yeah, it's actually 7.4. Um, and, and that a lot of the proceeds, uh, get donated to i can't remember the name of the they get donated to a charity in the name of uh steve holly's uh sister carol who passed away recently um and uh you know for those of you who aren't in the know anything with a-t-o-r at the end means it's a double bock oh so a-t-o-r at the end of the, of the name that means it's double bock and uh, so it's named Carolator after gotcha. uh, the sister Carol. That's very and cool. They, and they even had uh, 
They even had a monk come in and bless the beer. What? Um, and the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's wow. kind of cool. You go That's to Casey cool. Beer's website. They they probably still have the video up and with Steve explaining a little bit. Yeah, it's a cool story. Uh, it's a it's uh, you know it's a good um, you know it's a good thing to give money to because you know it donates to charity and uh, and it's a delicious beer. And that. That's and that's my Casey beer plug. <laughs> By the way, he's much better at describing the beers than I am. I mean, not that I set a high bar. <laughs> well, Nick, you're here to learn. So <laughs> here, here, here we are. Here we go. Here we what, we, what we got there, bud? We have the uh, Funky Soul Saison, Belgian style ale, six point two percent. From who? I'm looking for the label here. Got a hold brewery. Don't know them. Eureka Springs. Eureka Springs, Arkansas. I was down there last weekend, okay. and it's, a, it's the second brewery in, in Eureka Springs, and I was very impressed. Right. By the way, way to be prepared with the beer opener this, this I might have I might have stole that from the kitchen out there and put it <laughs> in my bag. So there's a <laughs> you got you got to stay ready to be ready. There we go. I got a I got a I got a a, a draft question for you. Okay. It, is there a correlation between how long your lines are and how beer how good the beer is? No, there's not. No, I mean there. Yeah, the short answer is no. Okay, uh, you can put in a really long system and pour really high quality beer um, just as easily as with a short system. Okay, now maintaining it and keeping it clean. It is a lot more work and it's harder to do, uh, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, so, you know, and it's also expensive to clean too, because whenever you clean the lines, you have to dump out all the beer that's in the lines. You know, if you, and so some places, especially like arenas and stadiums and casinos have really long lines. And some of those lines can contain as much as like a full sixth barrel of beer. Really? Like, yeah, I mean, I think there are bars in uh, some of the third concourse bars in Sprint Center hold close to five gallons of beer in the line. It's crazy uh, how long some of those lines are. Um, and in that case, it's really expensive to clean the lines. They dump a whole lot of beer out when they clean the lines. Um, and so, you know, uh, and I don't know how it is right now. And I want to like throw like, you know, whatever vendor is selling all the beer there right now under the bus or anything. But I know like some years ago, uh, the vendor that was there was uh, <clears throat> reluctant to clean the draft lines as much as they needed to because it cost them so much money. It was, you know, so in that sense, you know, it can cause, it can be so expensive to maintain that some people end up not maintaining them the way they should. And then that does affect the quality of the beer. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that leads me to you know what you're doing now with your with your your Tapstar business. Uh, describe what you do and how 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 you decided. Oh, I'm going to go off and do this on my own. Well, so <clears throat> I've been involved. You know, like I told you guys with draft beer for a really long time. Uh, I started installing systems. You know, in the early 2000s, and um, you know, there's just so many different things that can happen with draft beer like we talked about uh and uh, you know and i battled this for so long and i was installing systems and fighting all these fights 
And there were a lot of other people in the business kind of scattered around, uh, maybe not a whole lot, but like several people <laughs> that were fighting those same battles, working for some other breweries and some equipment companies. Um, and, you know, you kind of get to know those people. And, and uh, you know, I've been involved with a few different draft quality groups over the years. Uh, years ago, we had this ad hoc group called the Draft Beer Guild. That was early 2000s where we tried to, you know, get rid of air compressors on draft systems and stuff like that. Uh, but then that was before the Brewers Association was formed. When the BA was formed, uh, they formed a technical committee, uh, part of which was devoted to draft beer quality. And I've been a part of that for a long time. And, you know, everywhere along the way, within these groups of people that I knew and got to know, there was, a, we always talked about how it would be really great if there was some type of certification program for draft beer quality, right. because there's so much that happens at retail, like, like we've talked about that, you know, if we had some, if there was some certification program that could say, these guys do it right. These guys clean their draft lines, yeah. their glassware is clean, uh, the system's designed right, and they deliver a great glass of beer. That would be awesome to have some recognition of that. Uh, but we were never really in a position to be able to do that, you know, and because the, you know, we were all either involved with a brewery or a trade group like, you know, with the BA, you know, the Brewers Association isn't going to start certifying retail accounts. Right, you know, right. they represent, they're a trade group for small brewers. Uh, you know, uh, when I was with Boulevard, I couldn't have started a retail certification program. It would be like the Boulevard certification program. <laughs> right, right. Like, that's just not going to work because there's it's not independent. Uh, equipment suppliers can't do it. They're going to just be seen as promoting their own stuff. Right. And so it's always been this thing that, uh, that we've talked about for years and years and always felt like it was something that if somebody did it right, they could, uh, you know, make it into something. Uh, so, you know, I've been working independently for, you know, a little over four years now. And, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I just, decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. Now that I'm in a position to be able to do it, I'm going to do it. And so I laid all the groundwork and, you know, I did a lot of, a lot of digging and talking to people and, and pulled together a business plan and had this whole thing ready to launch in April of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And, and yeah, then, hey, you know, so I, I mean, so that didn't happen, obviously. Um, but, you know, I was sitting on, you know, I had the branding, I had the concept, I had the whole thing ready to go as a paid deal. I was just going to dive into, you know, and make this thing work. Um, and so I put the brakes on that. But then by July of last year, I was like, you know, I've got all this stuff ready to go. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to give it away. And I'm not going to charge anybody for it. Uh, and I'm just going to hope I can raise awareness about draft beer quality for one, because, you know, a few months into the pandemic, it became really clear that like there were going to be huge quality issues that were right. cropping up at retail because there was, there was all this old beer sitting at yeah. distributors and at retail that was just getting older and older and, and you, know, and you knew that everybody was going to want to 
try and save and serve whatever they could to get money back, which right. makes sense. Right. But if, you know, there's all this old beer. And so then you've got all these draft systems that are, you know, sitting idle and it's kind of like a car. If you don't, you know, if you let your car sit in your driveway don't you start it. and you don't <laughs> yeah. start it for a year, yeah. there's a really good chance it's not going to start. Yeah. And, and if it does, it's probably not going to run really well. Uh, you know, so draft system is kind of like an engine. You got to keep it moving in order to keep it working right. You got to maintain it and you have to clean the lines, even if you're not pouring beer. And so, all, you know, all these systems are sitting idle and, and, you know, the, the, the BA draft quality group that I work with, we, you know, did our best to try and get the word out about cleaning systems, but, you know, we knew it was going to be a mess. Um, and so I figure, Hey, the, all these quality issues are or popping up, you know, I should go ahead and do this, give it away, hopefully bring some attention to these issues, uh, raise awareness about the brand Tapstar, um, <laughs> and, uh, and try to build a brand. And whenever, if, and when we have a healthy hospitality business again, then I can start to turn this over and convert it into a self-sustaining business that actually, you know, uh, is a paid structure instead of just giving it all away. Right. Uh, I think so, there are a lot of certification programs like that, that, that started at kind of almost a free, let's get the word out and let's, and, yeah. and, and then you move. I mean, I'm thinking of like, you know, the, or what around 2008, 2009, you know, in the commercial building world, you know, there was the lead AP, right. That started that way. And then it became a paid thing and, and a lot more money and bureaucracy. Yeah. So I mean, I, <laughs> right now it's just Kansas city. Um, you know, I'm hoping that by the summertime I can expand out a little bit into maybe Columbia and St. Louis, uh, still just as a, as a free model. Um, but you know, hopefully by the fall I'm, I'm, you know, I've got plans if not have are already starting to, uh, charge for it. Um, and hopefully grow it into something. And, you know, it's been, it's, it's been a lot of work and I've, and, and I've spent a lot of money and I haven't really made anything back. I've sold, sold a couple t-shirts, but you know, <laughs> I mean, that certainly hasn't made back the money that I've spent what? on it. Uh, you know, but it's still laying groundwork for, you know, uh, for better things to come, but it's been a, you know, a little bit of a blessing, you know, at the same time, because it's easier to go out and, and get, people to agree to be a certified account if it doesn't cost them any money. And, (laughs) you know, and so it's, it's a little bit easier and there's a little bit less pressure. Um, You know, I think I probably could have, I think I would have made it work as a paid model, but it would have been really hard. Um, And doing it now, I, you know, I, I know how hard it would have been. Um, this maybe is stretched out longer than I want it to be, but is making it a little bit easier to get it off the ground, at least so far. I mean, right. who knows what will happen in the future, but that's kind of the, that's the thought behind it. So I, you know, I go into, uh, you know, if somebody wants to be a certified account, I have a, uh, I have a checklist in an Excel file and a scoring structure that I've created and it's made up of, uh, things that are literally pass fail. Uh, there's a whole, there's a number of things where like 
if you are doing things this way, then you there's no way you pass, right? So if you have out of code beer on tap, right, you can't pass. If you got one keg that's pouring and it's out of code, sorry, you can't you you're not going to pass the audit, right? Uh, if you're not cleaning your draft lines every two weeks, if you can't show me that every draft line in your place has not been cleaned every two weeks, then you can't pass. Um, there's certain draft system specification things along those same lines, like like if you have an air compressor. Nobody has an <laughs> air compressor. Uh, You're not going to pass on configurations that, that are also kind of pass-fail. So it's stuff like that. And then there's a number of things that are graded according to a sliding scale. Uh, you know, like serving temperature, um, you know, things like that. Some of the other, you know, we do a, a cleanliness check. I, I give it a multi-point inspection on system to check for cleanliness, to look for the signs of neglect, you know, and, and no system is a hundred percent perfect. So, you know, some people get dings on that, but right. you know, if you've got a coupler that's got dried beer on it, that's not, you know, you're not going to fail. Right. Um, but you know, you might get a little ding for it. You know, uh, I test glassware. I test, uh, you know, four pieces of glassware for cleanliness. I do, right. you know, uh, make sure they're clean. I taste a handful of beers to make sure there's no signs of uh, line cleaning infection or, excuse me, flavor staining or anything like that. Um, so you know, it's a it's a multi-point checklist. It takes about a half hour to go through and. Uh, and if you pass, then you're cer uh, a certified account. You get a little static cling sticker in your window that yeah. says Capstar certified. You get a little certificate you hang on the wall. Um, you get listed on the directory at tapstar.org. And, uh, and, you know, and, I've, and, I, and I try and promote the businesses as much I can, as I can. And that's been the hard part right now is in order for me to be successful with this, I have to engage with beer drinkers and right. raise awareness with beer drinkers about what I'm doing and get people to recognize like, Oh, Tapstar. Like I, you know, if I want to know where to go to drink good beer, I can look up on the website and see where to go. Or, you know, if I see that in the window, you right. know, I know that I'm getting good beer. Um, you know, that's the key. If I can get, uh, if I can encourage even just a couple people a month, to go to a Tapstar account uh, to a given place, then, you know, that means that, you know, there's a little bit that I'm successful. I'm driving business to these places. And it's been, and in order to do that, I have to promote it. Right. And with COVID, it's been really hard because places have been closed for one. Yeah. Um, and even when they're open, it's, it doesn't feel right to me to be encouraging people and really pushing people to go out to bars and drink beer because it's, not always the safest thing to do. Yeah. Um, so it's been hard to promote. You know, I, I wa originally wanted to do, and I hope to, uh, before too long, start doing in-person promotions and doing like, you know, like Tapstar promotion with a at a Tapstar account in conjunction right. with a Tapstar brewer and, and do, you know, or maybe a pub crawl and things like that. And like really like start gearing up fun events that engage with people and bring people in. Um, so that's part of the whole recipe for this uh, and making it successful. So I've got part of it in place and, you know, uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, I can really start putting the pedal down and doing some serious promotion. Well, you know, I, I know some of the folks that you've gone and visited. Um, mm -hmm. The things I've heard has been it's been a great experience to get that knowledge 
what 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 has been your feedback from from the places you've gone? Uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Nothing negative at all. Um, you know, I mean, part of that is obviously because they asked me to come in, and they're p- either people I know or they right. called me and asked me to come in and do it. Um, and right now, I mean, I've got seventeen places that are certified in the Kansas City area. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be the places that are doing it, that are, you know, doing it really well already. Right. Um, and I have had a lot of people fail. Uh, what I try to do is I make it an educational experience. I don't right. walk in and <laughs> I don't set up a time and walk in and then just go look around and do my thing and come back and say, oh, yeah, you didn't pass. You know, it, it's I, I explain, I go through the whole checklist with them beforehand. I asked that an owner or manager accompany me during the audit so I could explain everything that I'm seeing. And, and then, you know, if they don't pass, uh, the places that haven't passed, they know before I even tell them. And so it's not a surprise. They know exactly what they need to do to improve. Right. They know why. And so nobody's mad about it. They're just like, okay, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, the they work to improve so you know i've had i've got a couple places that are working on some things right now and have you know and i've been back a couple times and we're working on things and they get closer and closer each time uh i had one place that you know they knew they needed to do like two things and they did them and they they changed some procedures and they got it done and they passed the next time. It was very gratifying and they were happy and I was happy and it was really cool. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's implementing change at places, positive change. So it's a, <clears throat> it's a good thing. It's very, it's gratifying to have that happen. Uh, when somebody who comes up a little short, you know, makes that second effort and does the things they need to do and then ultimately passes because they're now like, really doing all the right things to serve a great glass of beer. I would think that the, a lot of the, the bars and tap rooms around here, you know, they would want to do this program that they, Uh, you know, they want to make sure that they're serving their beer the best way possible. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of them do. And I haven't really, uh, I haven't done a lot of, uh, outreach about it, honestly. I mean, I've reached out to the people that I know and, you know, and I've had several people reach out to me about it. Uh, but I haven't done like a whole lot of cold calls, like going in like, Hey, I'm Neil Whitty and I got this thing tap star, you know, it's, uh, it's just the conditions haven't been right. It's, it, that's one of the limitations that the pandemic has kind of put on this whole thing. Um, but COVID ruins everything. It's okay. You can just say, yeah, that. it really does. Doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, things are, things are changing. There's a lot of signs of things, uh, loosening up now and people going back out and, you know, uh, a lot of the work I do, uh, in a lot of the different areas that I do work, I'm seeing things percolating up a lot more across yeah. the board. Yeah. So there's some, there's a lot of encouraging signs out there. So I'm very hopeful for, uh, late spring, early summer and beyond. Uh, you know, so right now things are limited and it's hard to really gauge where I can take this. Uh, but I've gotten over a lot, you know, some of the early hurdles, uh, just by doing what I've done up to this point. Yeah. 
What was I going to ask? I just had just had a brain fart right there. <laughs> no, you know what? I was going to ask. You know, for for beer drinkers when they go into a place, um, are there some signs that if if to figure out okay something's not right? Is there, are there some telltale things out there? Uh, yeah, there's a number of them. I would say you know the glassware thing is a big one. Right. Um, if you have bubbles stuck to the inside of your glass of a freshly poured beer, that means the glass is dirty. Uh, bubbles don't stick to glass. They stick to stuff that's on glass. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, if your beer looks flat, like, uh, you know, I've heard some people refer to it as the sports bar pour. <laughs> you know, if, it, if it's just filled all the way up to the brim and there's no head on it, it just looks flat. Like that's not right. There's something probably in the glass that killed the head. Maybe the beer itself is flat from poor system design. That's a that's a red flag. If your beer uh, doesn't taste right, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious, but like some things like if it smells like butter or if it's slightly <laughs> right. sour, that yeah. means the lines haven't been cleaned. Um, if the faucets look dirty, you know, that's a that's a red flag. Um, if, uh, um, you know, the, those would probably be the obvious ones, right? Uh, the glassware stuff and the beer tasting bad. Um, I, that, you know, if your beer tastes like, like stale or wet paper, or wet cardboard, right. thing that I would say, uh, that's just, you know, that's just a sign of old beer. Yeah. Those are probably the biggest red flags. You hear that, Nick? I, I'm, I'm making mental notes. <laughs> no cardboard beer for you, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, shout, shout out to Gotta Hold Brewing because this is a really nice beer. I like that. Yeah, it's it's very nice. And they're only eight months old. Husband and wife team. They were super awesome. Um, it's very nice beer. I like it. If Nick if Nick likes it, so uh, what is, what is Nick not like? Well, other than the pickle, Neil, beer? I'll, I'll throw this at you. So when we started this podcast about a year ago. <laughs> Nick didn't like sours. Okay. Nick thought he didn't like sours. Well, he, well so we went to Diametric before we came here. What did Nick order? A sour. <laughs> it's nice. true. My, my job is done here. Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> so what do, you, what, do you, what do you envision, you know, this year, next year, the next three or four years for, for Tapstar? Do you have, you have big plans? Because I, I, personally, when I first saw you doing it, I'm like, it's brilliant. That's brilliant because it's, there's there's not a service out there like that that says hey yeah because most most breweries and most of the guys that I own that that you know they're they're so in in the throes of of brewing and and running a business sometimes what you're talking about can be an afterthought so i think personally i think what you're doing is is amazing and is going to be huge what what do you think is good what do you what's your plans well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of potential for it. I think, uh, I mean, I would like to, I would like to think that in a couple of years I could be in, uh, in, you know, depending on how I, how I'm able to grow it. Uh, but I could see myself being in several states and several, uh, several large metropolitan areas, uh, and fairly well established in the Midwest, uh, within a few years. Um, you know, if, uh, if it's something that catches on, you know, I mean, who knows, maybe I can get lucky and find somebody to, 
um, sink some money into it and help <laughs> grow it right, uh, right. Faster, quicker, right? I mean, who knows? I would like to ultimately have this be, you know, the gold standard for draft quality, um, you know, to be uh, that if you're going to be a beer bar, you want to get your Tapstar certification. It's just uh, one of the things that comes with it. Uh, that's, I mean, that's my hope. Uh, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. Um, yeah. uh, we'll just see how I do getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I envision very, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm just starting out, you know, so. But, you I mean, know, I don't. I've got yeah. pretty ambitious goals with it, but who, I mean, I'm not about to sit here and tell you that that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, but I just, I don't see anything else out there like that independently for people to come and say, I'm going to make sure what you're yeah, the, no, you know. nobody, nobody's doing it in the States, uh, at least not on any large scale, independent of like a brewery. Or right. There's some things that are kind of like it. There's a guy in Canada who's who's uh, doing it a little bit. I don't know a ton about uh, him, but it's uh, pretty small from my, what I understand. Uh, there's a certification program that the New York State Brewers Guild is running along with uh, one of the distributors up there that's uh, they're certifying accounts uh, that for basically for line cleaning. Um, so that's kind of similar. I think the closest parallel is what is in the UK. Uh, there's an organization called Caskmark, and Caskmark certifies the quality of, of cask ale. So if you, you don't know yeah. what cask ale is, it's uh, it's cask condition ale that is uh, a big part of draft beer and pub culture in the uk right you don't really you you see some places here in the states that have it yeah, uh, most of them many. don't do it like the traditional way but it's those big yeah. beer engines yeah you got it right, right. <laughs> um, you know there's a lot of pageantry involved in like tapping the cask on the bar and, right or pulling the engine and everything like that and it looks really cool and it and, you know, breweries can fill the firkins, which are the specialized kegs, and send them out. But a lot of it in the States is not traditional. In the UK, it's literally beer that has just been, you know, it's fresh beer that's done fermenting. They fill the cask, and then they prime it with sugar. Uh, to And there's usually yeast already in suspension. And oftentimes, they'll put like a handful of hops in it, but that's right. about it. Right. Um, and... That spurs a secondary fermentation in the cask, and then it's delivered to retail to the pub, where the publican manages the second fermentation. So it's like you're relying on a trained publican to uh, manage the finishing of the beer, and and so they finish it, and then. They tap it once it's done, and so all the carbonation is natural, right? And it's and it's not dispensed with any CO two pressure. It's pulled out with a pump, and it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the freshly baked bread of beer. <laughs> in the UK, uh, you'll find Cascale at just about every pub you go to. Oh, absolutely. Usually, kind of low ABV stuff. Yeah, low to moderate ABV. Um, and really soft, but complex and yeah. super drinkable. And it's really amazing stuff. Well, there's a, this cask mark. I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but that's no, good. Cask mark certifies the quality of cask ale in the UK. And they've got thousands of pubs that are cask mark certified. And it's pretty much the same model. They've got auditors that go out 
and they audit these places. They take the temperature of the beer, they taste it, they right. examine the cellar for cleanliness and the whole thing. And if they pass, they get this, they get certified. And that's and that's, so it's a place where you know you can get good cask ale. Right. And the reason, you know, a lot of the reason why they do that is because a lot of stuff can go bad just the way it goes bad with draft beer here. Um, cask ale is particularly vulnerable because, uh, you know, if it gets too old, uh, it tastes really bad and old is really only like just a few days. So it's only good for like, you know, like a handful of days tops, uh, because as you pull the beer out, you're pulling oxygen in usually by the second or third day, you really want to be done with it. Um, and so, you know, there's a, definitely a market for that in the UK. It's been very successful and they've been doing it for, I don't know, a couple decades now. Easy. Um, wow. yeah. So, so you, that's so you, the you, only you, model that I've seen that yeah. is like doing what I'm doing. If you could replicate that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I looked at that and it makes me think like I could be successful doing this here if they're doing that there. Well, you know, I, I love what you're doing. And the first time I saw it, I was like, that's, that's actually brilliant. Um, you know, I could see you at some point having a, a team of people that do, you know, it's not just you going out and doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've got these apprentices you've trained, you send them out. And, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a great thing for, for will, craft Will beer. he require them to be master Cicerons? Probably not. <laughs> Probably wouldn't find many of them then. Right, right. I mean, what, how many? How many in the world? Like 21, 22? I think we're up to seventeen now. Oh, is it, oh, it's up yeah. to seventeen. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So they don't it all need to be, be masochists like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we talked to. We had Melissa Cole on here. Oh, um, she's great. Uh, I love her. Oh my god. Well, when I, the last time I went to England, I I met her because somebody on beer tasting KC told me to go to this place, and I met her. And, you know, just talking to her, you know, you know, she has her, 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 <laughs> her thoughts about, you know, being uh master Cicerone or whatever, but she's not shy with her opinions. No, she, no, she- <laughs> no great. So you just went there and just ran into her and met her? Or no, I, when I went, um, I grew up in England, so oh, I had okay. been, I had been back since I left, um, when I was 12 okay. and somebody on beer tasting cases said, Hey, go to the rake. In, in central London, because my brother lives in London, and asked for Melissa Cole. I'd never heard her, never met her. Oh, cool. Went and asked for her, and most awesome people. She was doing a beer release with with a, with a brewery, and she and ever since then, I've talked to her ever since. Yeah. And so when I asked her to come on the podcast, she's like, "Of course." And of course, she was she was awesome. <laughs> she was awesome. <laughs> she <laughs> she doesn't yeah. mince she doesn't mince words. No, not at all. She took care of me for a couple of days in London. Did she? Uh, several years ago, too. Yeah. I, you know, I had known her through social media. Yeah. And I, and I just reached out to her. I was like, hey, I'm going to be in London. Let's hook up. She's like, oh, yeah. And so she just scooped me up and like took me all over the city and yeah. showed me everything. And it, it was great. She, she's a, she's a really, really great person. Uh, she really knows her shit. Oh yeah. Um, and she's very, she's a great host in her hometown. Yes. Uh, she does a great job of showing people around and, and showing them the beer scene and she is plugged into the beer scene. There. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She yeah. just had another beer release at some, I, I saw that. Just yeah. yeah she had so many damn beer releases. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think she like just collaborates with everyone. Yeah, yeah, she knows everybody. 
yeah, she she's was. Awesome. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, I can't say enough about her. Look, speaking of awesome, dude, it was awesome to have you on here. We really appreciate uh, what what you're doing, and and uh, tell people where gonna where where they can find you social media wise, that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I bounce around a little bit on social media. Mostly, um, <laughs> you, you find me most active on Twitter. I'm at nwitty n w i t t e. Um, you know, you can find Tapstar on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find Tapstar Draft on Twitter. If you want to follow mostly the uh, the escapades of uh, Tapstar certified accounts, uh, you can also find my Craft Quality Solutions Facebook page. Um, you can uh, check me out on uh, Instagram at, at @njwit njwit. Although I'm kind of uh, in and out of Instagram. I'm not as engaged as all the kids are. And then uh, you can find, I've got a couple websites. I've got uh, sellgreatbeer.com. That's my craft quality solutions website. All the different services I offer through that business. Um, and then I've got tapstar.org where you can learn more about Tapstar. You can check out certified accounts and find out where to drink a great glass of beer. That's awesome. Fantastic. Nick, where can they find us? You can find us at beerswithnigel.com. You can get the Beers with Nigel podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really just about any of your favorite podcast apps. Even Nigel. You can tell the Alexa to play the Beers with Nigel podcast. You can do that. And you know what else? This. You've been listening to Beers with Nigel, a show about beer and other stuff. Hosted by Nigel Woodbury and that other guy, Nick Parker. Beers with Nigel is poured for you by Dire Oil Graphics, providing bumper-to-bumper graphic design, promo products, and print services. Find them at direoil.com. Beers with Nigel is a proud member of the Fredcast Network and is available on all of your favorite podcast flavors. Find Beers with Nigel on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and ask Alexa to play the Beers with Nigel podcast.